0: The following episode of Humble and Fred is brought to you by GigSky, The Retirement Sherpa, The Chambers Plan, Bodog, Health Gage, Canna Cabana, Doer, and our newest sponsor, GoDaddy.
1: Hello, I'm Toronto Mike, producer of Humble and Fred. The chairman of the board, old blue eyes, Frank Sinatra never appeared on Humble and Fred, but Frank Sinatra Jr. did. Frank Sinatra Jr. was a singer, songwriter, actor, and conductor. His older sister is Nancy Sinatra, and his younger sister is Tina Sinatra. When Frank Sinatra Jr. visited Humble and Fred, he was on a podcast, but I'm pretty certain he did not know that. Let's listen.
0: Okay, so uh, this has been approved. Uh, okay, the this theme that we're gonna play. Okay. Um, we're gonna let. Uh, I don't even know. Is there? If there's, if there's somebody that really doesn't, that really needs no introduction, other than to say he's been um, a performer for many, many years, and, and, uh, and by far, I think the most anticipated guest we've ever had on the most downloaded podcast by. in Etobicoke. Please welcome, a among other things. The man who's singing the Family Guy theme, Frank Sinatra Jr. Hey, Mr.
2: Sinatra. Family Guy. Good
0: to see you, Frank. How are you? Frank, my name is Frank. I'm Howard. Frank, nice to meet you. Michael, nice to meet you. That's our partner, uh, Mike. And uh, yeah, I just get have a seat you, there, sir. settle down, and we'll all just. Uh, do you mind if we call you? said said your name's Frank. We call yes, you? Yes, sir. That's, okay. that's my name. Because I'm, I'm sure that most people initially would, would default to Mr. Sinatra.
3: No, Mr. Sinatra was my grandfather. Mm. Um, thanks very much for doing this. That's all I can say well, to start with. Thank, thank you. you. Welcome for, to our show. Thank you for inviting me to join you fellows today. You have kind of a, a fame up here, you know. We do. I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't worked together before.
0: Really? That's well,
3: quite hear, the compliment. No, I'm. I hear your partnership goes back a ways.
2: Yes, we uh we've been together uh, since 1989.
3: Yeah. Well, I have been coming in and out of Toronto since then. Long before that, in fact. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you like um, Toronto?
3: Very much. Would you just mm-hmm. uh, Frank? Would you mind just uh, e-
0: yeah getting that microphone right in front of you because. Uh, they're, these ones are very directional. All right. And uh, you've been working a Mike a long time. When, when, when coming to Toronto to do different shows, uh, I know you're playing Casino-rama, but where would you have performed back when you first started coming here?
3: Um, let me think. For many, many years, I used to come in and out of the city and play at the showroom at the Royal York downtown mm-hmm. in the days when they had a very, very nice nightclub. And um, it was uh, an ongoing experience. The last time, the last time was at Casino Rama. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, uh, I have been coming in and out of here for years. I actually used to live in Downsview. What? For a time, I actually had a kind of a residence there. Huh. And uh, it's, uh, I'm no stranger.
0: <laughs> what- What, <laughs> what years would you have <laughs> been uh, living in Downsview?
3: I was there in 74... No, after that, 75, 76, 77. And uh, there were just uh, times that we would be in Canada constantly. And that was the most applicable place because here again we had had the great big international airport, which would take us anywhere we had to go in North America, not just Canada. And uh, it became just a question of convenience.
2: And I guess you've noticed the way this city has grown in that time, like 1974 to now, it really has grown up, this city.
3: We just left downtown mm-hmm. and drove out here to be at your studio, and I was looking around, I said, my God, there was nothing here. Mm-hmm. When I came here as a child in the 50s, I mean, out of the downtown area, there was not a building and very few streets that had more than two lanes on them. hmm Uh, But then again, that's time. So why did you come here as a child in the 50s? I was visiting my father in those days. Mm -hmm. And he would be on the road working. Mm -hmm. And uh, there used to be, I wish there still were, but there used to be entire tours that encompassed nothing but Canada. And I even did them in my career in the 70s again. I mean, we would start in the Maritimes... And end up in uh, uh, Victoria. Wow. And end up in Vancouver. And it would take three weeks to cross the country. And you would be doing
0: a series of, uh, in those days, nightclubs and well, big hotels? No, no and... even
3: before that, I was singing with a dance band as a young man. And wow. in those days, there were still dances. There were still ballrooms and things like that. And we used to come to Canada. And if they didn't have, in a, in a small town somewhere... If they didn't have an actual place, uh, somebody would buy the use of an airplane hangar at a local <laughs> airport and they would set it up. They'd put tables and chairs in and they would sometimes actually bring in a wooden dance floor and this was um, um, in the North Country. Now, on the other side of the equation, in the Southern states, uh, we used to have to do so, those uh, kinds of things in tobacco warehouses. Any place that was big enough, Well, you obviously have
0: a unique perspective on us as Canadians. It's one of the things that it's almost a Canadian thing to ask because we're sort of self-conscious about what others think of us. But having been in the country so long, what would you say? what, What do you say to your fellow Americans sometimes when they might make a comment about Canada? And you say, no, no, no. Here's what they're really like.
3: I'm sorry, I really don't understand what you're getting at. It seems to me that Canada is Canada. It's always been kind to me, and I've been here for 60 years. And I can only tell you that um, uh, my my favorite expression, somebody I heard once said something about Canada. He said, Canada's breath is clean. The air is clean. The forests are clean. The meadows are clean. The cities are clean. When you compare uh, to some of the places in the world, you may never have been there when you see them on television. Um, And I mean big cities, going cities, modern cities in this day and age, they have never yet been through um, things like air pollution. The perfect example has got to be the Chinese People's Republic in the 21st century. Now that they have become industrialized, Automobiles are flourishing, and everything. Machine age is flourishing. Industrial production is flourishing, and whatnot. And you go there, and you're breathing this air. In certain instances, and it's black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's none of that in Canada.
0: Well, by the way, I just want to inter- interrupt you. You wouldn't be the first person that uh, didn't know what I was saying. <laughs> it's, it's been a long, a long career of that, and that's why you know we're podcasting over uh, Fred's
3: dining room table. I can only tell you that uh, it's always been kind to me here and I have been um, I've been in places in Canada where a lot of Canadians have never been. It's amazing how few people have been in the in the northern territories mm-hmm. and I can't believe that. Well, it's funny you say that because I haven't. Like I
2: this is the province of Ontario <laughs> and I've been from here to Florida and everywhere in between, but I have not been north of Sudbury in this province. And I guess we're pre-positioned, you know, the cold or, you know, there's nothing to see and it's stark when nothing could be further further than the truth from, from the truth, because it's a beautiful province. And sometimes it takes tourists oh, to tell wonderful. you that. They're yeah,
3: wonderful. I, I can remember doing tours in cities. At Halifax, at St. John, New Brunswick, mm-hmm. and then going on to St. John's Newfoundland, and getting stoned on screech up there <laughs> <laughs> and uh, things like that. and it was I'm trying to remember it was they're right, great people. Too. It was right during an election. they were just electing a new premier in the Maritimes at the mm-hmm. time. But it's, um, it's always been kind to me.
0: So you're here doing uh, your show in Rama, and I want to talk uh, a, sort of a little bit back and forth. If someone comes to see Frank Sinatra Jr. in 2012, um, how is that? Sh- what would that experience be like? And will you do the Family Guy theme in your show? And well,
3: no, <laughs> I don't. we were talking about that. It's amazing the number of people who watch that show. And I have to tell you, did you ever notice that different professions have different expressions for people who are not quite all there? Yes. Now, <laughs> the people who put together Family Guy, the cigar makers have an expression. They say they are not wrapped too tight. Right? <laughs> the, um, the tailors say they don't have all their buttons in the right holes. <laughs> right, you've heard all that. My, when I was on staff... For Jack Webb years ago at Universal Pictures loved him the film cutters used to have an expression they'd see somebody walking by who was a little out of balance and they would say hmm, he's five frames out of sync <laughs> all right so the guys that do, family guys, Seth MacFarlane, who I've known for years now, I've done that show several times. Mm-hmm. It's so funny when you see yourself as a cartoon, <laughs> you know? Right. But the guys who do that show are the environmentalists say, that the, the uh, nature lovers, the hikers, they say the top to their canteens are missing. <laughs> 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 well,
0: I, I mean. want to tell you, if I may, I'm walking out of my house last night, I said, by the way, girls, I have a 13 and a 17 year old who have no idea who your father is and i said frank sinatra jr is going to be on the show and they went ask him about stewie i'm like (laughs) whoa whoa, girls i go what they go yeah because they watched the credits they wanted to know who you were they said ask him about his duet with stewie i'm like you're kidding me it's
3: difficult i'm telling you it's not right (laughs) they have to understand that stewie that voice uh, that's seth McFarlane. yeah and uh peter uh what's his name Murphy, Uh, what's uh, no Peter Griffin? Griffin. they're all Seth. Peter, that's all Seth MacFarlane, and uh, he has got some characters on that show. I came walking in to do a sound um, overlay for that program one time, and I was introduced to Carrie Fisher, who does the show all the time. Yeah, she's on the regular. And I said, uh, nice to meet you, finally, after all these years. I said, I remember the day you were born. (laughs) She said, really? I said, oh, yes, I remember the day you were born. And she said, well, you were 13 when I was born. I said, well, now, wait a minute. (laughs) Let me do some figuring here. That means, are you telling me you are 50 now? She said, yeah. I said, no, no, get out of here. I don't want to hear that. She said, no. I I said, I refuse to even entertain the thought that Princess Leia is 50. (laughs) She said, well, she isn't, but I am.
0: (laughs) Frank Sinatra Jr. is that voice. Frank, can we play a little bit of you singing with Stewie here? Sure. This is uh, from the family guy called When We Swing.
4: How I love a girl who's flawless. Even better when she's braless <laughs> But the thing that tops it all is when we swing And how I love a glass of Jack Or anything with Robert Stack But the gals we romance Can't stay out of our pants when we swing <laughs> Yesterday had got me feeling kinda of blue So you left and we replaced you with a Jew, <laughs> you're fired. But when the ladies squeeze us, that's an easy way to please us. But we feel like freaking Jesus
0: when we swing. So when you first saw those it's lyrics, you, did you did you say, okay, I'll um, say that.
3: I'm surprised uh, you fellas are playing oh, that on the, on the radio, I'm actually.
0: Well, we do a lot of different things <laughs> on this show. Language isn't a barrier on our show anymore.
3: That's very good. You know, there's things going on like that right now in the Supreme Court of the United States. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you've read about it. Yes. I mean, um, ever since the advent of what was once called pay television, mm-hmm. uh, then it became cable television, then, it became, then there's uh, a satellite television and things like that. The television networks, I don't know how it works in Canada, but in the United States, they are screaming bloody murder right now. So they can get away with much more what they call reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they are, in essence, not on the airwaves. Mm-hmm. The airwaves are open to everyone in, in the United States. They say and the airwaves belong to the people of the United States. In Canada, they belong to the people of Canada. But if you have a, a something of a transmission of information that is not available to the public, that you have to subscribe to, like, say, pay TV then you can get away with things. You're not covered by those rules, and the TV networks in Washington, D.C. are screaming bloody murder right now. And just remember, when television started, it was against the law to say pregnant on Mm -hmm. television. Milton Berle, Mr. Television, 1948 he started at NBC uh, with the Texaco Star Theater, and he got busted he was so incensed by some of the the nonsense was coming down he one time now this is true he did a comedy routine in which he played a 1920s prohibition gangster with the gatsby suit and he's talking on the old two piece hourglass candlestick telephone right and you hear all kinds of noise of heavy motors outside and people yelling in megaphones. And he says, Muggsy, it's Louie. They got us. The bulls are all around. Yeah. Oh, no, they're here. They have machine guns. They have shotguns. They have armored cars. They even have a helicopter. A helicopter. Can't say hell on television. <laughs> <laughs> they busted him for that. Get out. The Federal Communications Commission busted him for that. And he was trying to poke fun at how ridiculous this was. And uh, but remember, uh, it was against the law to say pregnant on mm-hmm. television.
2: Well, remember, I Love Lucy. Ricky and Lucy had single beds. A lot of those of sitcoms. Course, yep, a lot of absolutely. those sitcoms back there. Well,
0: by the way, now Frank, he and I have single beds. Can <laughs> we? Yeah, we've drifted apart. Uh, well, in our I won't
3: say I was. I won't say I was wondering, but I'm glad yeah. you have single <laughs> microphones. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Frank
0: Sinatra Jr. is here on the day that, in the states and around the world, is this uh, this SOPA blackout, where a couple of the big websites, Reddit and some mm-hmm. of these others, are, 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 yeah, are the protesting news? because they've introduced this bill in Congress that stop online piracy. Uh, that stop well, that's online all piracy well and ad.
3: good. Mm-hmm. That's all well and good. You have to look at it this way. Uh, you fellows here are on the radio, how many days a week?
0: Five, uh, five days a week.
3: Five days a week. All yeah. right. So now, what happens is this: you have a following. People like to listen to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So out there in radio land, somebody is sitting there with a digital recorder, and they're recording your program, and then they press that program into compact disc. So they put it online somewhere over in Alberta or in mm-hmm. British Columbia. Hey. Oh, we got to get Humble and Fred. You know, we can sell you their shows, their better shows and everything. So what? somebody is making a very good living off your efforts, and it becomes compounded when it's copyrighted material. Mm-hmm. Let's say, for example, some uh, hit record albums. Uh, piracy means they are not recognizing the rules on publishing, mm-hmm. they're not recognizing the rules on musicians, and so on. So in other words, they're selling other people's efforts. For free. But what's your
2: position on what the networks are going through in the United States right now? Do you think it should be open up? Networks should be, I don't know. be free as well?
3: I don't, well, we have to look at it this way. You fellows are asking some pretty heavy questions here. Let's look at it this way. We have those people who are the liberals, right? On the other hand, now we are facing something that is referred to, where I come from, as the new religious right. Mm -hmm. So they're saying is we don't want this kind of thing on television where our six-year-old boy and our nine-year-old girl can watch these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was growing up, that was up to the families. The parents controlled what you were going to listen to on the radio or watch on television as well as seeing in a movie, right? Mm -hmm. Or reading in a book, Um, things like that. All I'm getting at is the fact that today we have, and here's this expression, latchkey kids who are not supervised because both parents have to work in order to make ends meet. Um, And in this way, uh, I think that's why uh, cable TV companies, direct TV companies... And television manufacturers themselves, they have what are called parental locks Mm -hmm. on television sets and whatnot. Can it not be up to the families individually? I Mm -hmm. I totally
0: agree with you. So it Um, should be. But let's let's go let's go let's t- get away from piracy and copyright. Let's talk about uh, back to what I was asking you about. when I go and see you at Rama, what are we what kind of show is Frank Sinatra Jr. putting on in 2012? And then let's go back to some of the early days of your career and and working with your father and how your whole life has been sort of fairly public versus most of us. So back to Rama, what kind of show is is being put on?
3: Rama, is the show that I do there, um, is one thing that will apparently forever be different. Making the music of Frank Sinatra means making the music he made to sound like it sounded when he made it. Explain. explains meaning he used not a rhythm section, not a guitar player, not a quartet. He used an orchestra. An orchestra with all the colors of the orchestra, and this is what we do. On the stage, there are 38 of us. Wow. With all what, in, what it is, in essence, is a small symphony orchestra. This recreates those magnificent Nelson Riddle, Billy May, Don Costa orchestrations exactly the way they were made when they became famous. And this is what we can offer that the other shows really do not.
0: So it's not just that you sing your father's music. It's that as a conductor, you've condu- you used to conduct the orchestra. Right. So you've arranged these, these sounds to be like they were when your father recorded those songs, which is completely That's different than point. most of those guys That's do. That's the
3: whole point. There are a lot of people who are singing Sinatra music now and more power to them. Thank goodness that somebody has this attitude that this music must be preserved and recreated and it you
2: know it, it really is timeless i was telling howard before you arrived my son when he was twenty, twenty-one, on his ipod the whole frank sinatra selection and i said really and he says yeah dad it's cool music there are certain times this is what i want to
3: listen to uh freddie there is a build-up of younger people who are not only discovering Sinatra, but they're discovering the catalog. Nowadays, there's a euphemism which always makes me cringe. They call it the Great American Songbook. Mm -hmm. Uh, That somehow offends me when you consider people like... um, Uh, anthony newley and leslie brickis and james last and people who just are not good old b flat one hundred and ten percent pure americans they come from other places around the world and then there is senor jobim and people of that nature who have contributed these magnificent songs can we just not say the great songbook? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But there is a uh, there is a, cer- a certain movement with young people who have recognized this.
0: Now these guys aren't new, but they certainly sing. <clears throat> excuse me, in a Sinatra manner. Uh, Harry Connick Jr., uh, Michael Bubley. What, do you what, do you have any thoughts on their music? When you hear it, obviously it puts you in the it puts hope, somebody in the mind.
3: I hope they keep on trucking. Mm-hmm. It only happens now, and it began back in the early nineteen eighties with a woman named Linda Ronstadt. She, as a child, had heard orchestrations from a man named Nelson Riddle. Mm-hmm. She decided to make a record album with Nelson Riddle and a big orchestra, which to the rock and roll three was absolutely revolutionary. It worked so well. The first album came out and immediately sold something like 600,000 copies. They ended up making two more albums like that. Now, when you consider people like uh, Rod Stewart is making nothing but these Mm -hmm. albums Mm -hmm. of better music. And I have told Rod, I said, keep on trucking, pal. Keep on trucking. Keep on fighting for better content. You know what it is about that music? It's
2: just, it makes you feel good. Like a lot of the music nowadays can either
3: be angry
2: or hard or strident. Or simplistic. Or simplistic. Or ignorant. But even
3: what Howard played from the family guy there, it just made you feel good. But you notice that you have to listen to the words and concentrate Mm -hmm. on it. This This is the point, fellas. I had a friend who died 20 years ago this past October, and the wisest mind I ever knew. Does the name Gene Roddenberry mean Mm -hmm, anything to you? Yes. The man who created Star Star Trek. Trek. All right? He was condemned, smashed, condescended to, humiliated by the TV networks because they said to him, when he proposed a show of this kind of intellectual content... They said, quote, quote, your show, Gene, they used to call him Crazy Gene, your show (laughs) is too cerebral. Mm -hmm. It makes people have to think. And as everybody knows, no one wants to think Mm -hmm. when they're watching television. Certainly not anymore. Who was it that made the statement television is chewing gum for the mind? Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Um, Gene kept pushing and pushing and pushing. He finally got the first Star Trek, which was a sleeper, absolute sleeper. It died in three years because of low ratings. And what since then? Five television series, ten feature films, right? In the half century since that time. And I said to Gene one day, what prompted you to keep pushing? And it took, so let's not kid ourselves, it took some pushing to get some of the corporate hacks to open up their minds a little bit. He said to me, I can still see him, he said, Frank, the more I thought about it, the more convinced I was that somewhere on the other side of that picture tube, there was an intelligent life form waiting to be entertained. Mm -hmm. This was his comment. So when we're getting into the simplistic area of music, and particularly by lyric, um, this is uh, chewing gum for the mind again. We don't have to concentrate. We don't have to think, but when you're playing things that have content that is somewhat intelligent, you have to follow
0: it. But it, as Fred was saying, you know, it's it's no um, accident that you know his son or, or my daughters watched that episode and and liked that music because. You know, nowadays, because there is so much access to, you know, music from whether it was the 20s or the '212s, 2012s, you can get any kind of music you want. I think people are actually more open to going back and listening to some of that stuff because, because there, there, there are smarter consumers out there now. My girls like
3: rap music, but they also like yours, your duet with I'm Stewie. just hoping that, that they, will, they will prefer to get uh, their minds out of neutral which mm-hmm. is what uh, rap music, I say, is the ultimate oxymoron. Uh, the fact is, if we get our minds and put them into gear, we have to think about things. I was watching a show on TV one night called Family Guy. <laughs> and here is pure, um, pure camp through everything, but uh, we're talking about poor Peter Griffin here, who is being chased by some bad guys, and he ends up, running into a cornfield while the villains are chasing him in a steerman biplane. <laughs> and I looked at it, and I smiled, and one of the children, my, one of my little niece's friends said to me, well, what's so funny about I said, that is a put-on on a famous Alfred Hitchcock movie many, many years ago. That was a scene with Cary Grant in which the bad guys chased him into a cornfield and were shooting at him from a biplane. And uh, th- this is how sharp those guys at Family Guy are, that th- they remembered this mm-hmm. kind of thing.
2: You uh, Earlier you mentioned um, parental controls on TV converters or whatever and parents being in control of what their kids see and watch. What were your parents like? What was your dad like back in the day as far as oh, influence well, no, no, no.
3: of music oh, and talk about well let's start with television now, okay I remember tv was in its infancy i can remember uh my little margie and mm-hmm. dragnet and jack benny before television i can remember listening to them on the radio mm-hmm. So now television comes in, and uh, you fellas may have heard this expression. The grown-ups used to say, don't watch too much of that, you'll ruin your eyes. Yeah. Because the TV sets were archaic, they were blurry, they were terrible mm-hmm.
0: in those days. The they ca- were made of wood. Uh, they, like real wood. They <laughs> <laughs> <Wooding laughs> really, were. Yes. I remember and my parents had an old you know, yeah. a wooden
3: uh, console. Console, right, and they were made of beautiful furniture, but the fact is the cathode ray tube was in its infancy then. And they did not have the collars to focus a picture as well as they did. There was a company that came years later, still in the panchromatic days, before color. There was a company called Fleetwood that made the most accurate firing black and white picture tube, and the difference was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. They disappeared decades ago. But nowadays, I can only tell you, um, my godfather, when I was a little boy, when godfather was still a nice word, my godfather was a man in New York by the name of Manny Sachs, and Uncle Manny was the head of the RCA, um, in total product, everything, and was running the NBC television network at the same time. He was the protege of General David Sarnoff, who founded RCA at the time. And one day, when I was 10, he took me to Camden, New Jersey, and there was a box the size of a double-door refrigerator lying on a table, and all these men in white lab coats were around it. And he said, Frankie, look at this. And I said, I saw a bunch of tubes and circuitry. I said, what is that, Uncle Manny? He said, that is a color television camera. And I said, "A, a, a TV camera that makes color pictures? He said, yes, in about a year's time. In 1955, we're going to have color on television, finally. And today, you can go to any appliance store that you want and buy a camcorder that's high definition, that Mm -hmm. has all kinds of video effects and editing in it. And it sits in the palm of your hand, Mm -hmm. even a cell phone that's well-equipped. Did the Sinatras have a color TV right away? Oh, no. No? I keep thinking, I wish Uncle Manny were Hmm. alive today to see see this. Right, Yeah. 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 No, but no, 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 no. The color TV sets, there was one that was in the company office when I was a kid. And I remember one of the secretaries saying that thing was 3000 American dollars. Now, that's $1955. That's
0: like $30,000. That's right. Wow. And
3: the, they were. They were uh, uh, Sinatra himself, he said, um, when he was ordering a tube do you want a uh, color set or a black and white? He said, get me a good black and white. as His description was... The color sets are just a nuisance. Oh, wow. Frank Sinatra Jr. is, Frank
0: Sinatra Jr. is our guest. And uh, before we run out of time, which we're going to in a few uh, minutes, because um, I know you've got other things to do, and, and we want to, again, thank you so much for coming in. But we'd be remiss uh, if we didn't ask, you know, now that you've hung out with us a little bit and, and uh, you've got a feel for us, I hope, that, you know, when I, I ask this with all the, the respect uh, uh, intended, what has life been like And I and it's not I don't ask this lightly. Your father wasn't just a famous American or a famous television or movie or singer. He is and was one of the most famous people Mm -hmm. on planet Earth. So, and you were a you you have been. We've talked about your accomplishments, and you're obviously a very intelligent person. So you have must have. When did it occur to you, and how have you reconciled being the son of not just a famous singer like. Some pop star, but of the, one of the most famous people on the planet.
3: I tell people often, in my case, um, I tell them, look, don't mistake things. I am not famous. I just have a famous name. And in terms of fame and this business of celebrity, which is so overblown mm-hmm. today, I keep thinking back and I tell people always, way back in the 1930s, Charlie Chaplin went to the premiere one night of his new movie, City Lights. And in the car with him, and this was black tie in those days for a premiere, riding with Charlie Chaplin was his friend, colleague, his very close friend, Albert Einstein, (laughs) who went to love Chaplin movies. Mm -hmm. And um, he went to the premiere with Chaplin. The premiere finished. They walked outside the fans of Charlie Chaplin absolutely mobbed him, and damn near tipped the car over when they were leaving, and Dr. Einstein was actually very frightened. And as the car pulled away, Chaplin was waving at everybody. He said, "'Charlie, what, what does all of this mean?' And the story goes that Charlie Chaplin slowly turned around and faced the most famous scientific mind in history and said, Nothing, Albert. Nothing. Now, I understand what you're saying,
0: and it's easy for people on the outside to imagine... That your life is one thing, but you live your life, and so on the inside, it's, it's something
3: different. What it, what it has to be is this: um, somebody in my position, and it took a lot of years to come to the conclusion. Do not give in to believing that distortion, in fact, is truth. Right. You cannot believe uh, that the, somebody once said the enemy of truth is not falsity. The enemy of truth is distortion. Anybody who ever listens to our politicians anywhere you go is going to be able to attest to that if they think about it. But distortion is the enemy of truth and when you live in this kind of a life, to believe in all of this celebrity and everything else is a distortion. That is not where the real world is. I remember when I was a kid and I started singing with dance bands I think I had just become twenty years old, and I made my first world tour, traveling with dance bands. And I went into places where there was poverty, uh, like I hadn't even imagined. And I said, "So oh, this is what uh, this is what the real world looks like." You better make a real good memory imprint of this, so that you have a true picture, rather than a distorted picture.
2: What was life like? Um as howard said in your situation could you say you live the life of the average american kid or was it different because i think of things like you came you come home from school or whatever and your dad's buddy is over and it's sammy davis jr or it's dean martin it's like is that the way it was
3: uh that's did you run in was. circles that's that, the way it was Man. that's the way it was jesus wonderful because those people were very fun dean martin is one of the funniest people who ever lived he was absolutely witty um, and he really didn't right? drink as much as they said oh, of right? course he couldn't have he mm-hmm. could never have done so that was mm-hmm. part of the act jack benny really wasn't cheap and really didn't drive a maxwell mm-hmm. you know what i mean and he didn't have a guy locked in the safe down in the
0: basement <laughs> <laughs> but Frank, you can imagine why we're asking this. And again, yeah. we're, it's a pretty mm-hmm. big honor for us to speak to someone like you. It's fascinating because you know our kids come home from school, and you know once in a while they say, "What does your dad do?" Well, he does this radio show with Fred. And, but in your case, you're, you come home from school, and there's Dean Martin. He might be noodling around with your dad. You guys are, and it's just it just sort of your normal is something that we would all be fascinated by.
3: They were the living embodiment of the um, intellectual message on Family Guy when they mm-hmm. got together. They were absolutely insane, the stuff they used to do to one another. Um, one time, oh, who was it? One of the guys had extensive bridge work done. Oh, I mean, t- total dental reconstruction. And the boys got together and sent him a get well present. They sent him two pounds of peanut brittle. <laughs> <laughs> and then one time one of the guys had a terrible double hernia operation and Dean got together on behalf of he and his friend Sinatra and he sent him a get well present, a set of barbells. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, this is the kind of thing that you always do.
0: When you first started singing though, I mean it it's interesting, you turned out to be such a wonderful singer. When you first started though, knowing your father had been this amazing talent and a world-renowned voice, were you a little
3: intimidated to start singing around the house? Uh, I never did sing around the house. Not even in the shower? Uh, Well, no, that's classified. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But when you first started started singing, what did your dad think? Uh, I don't really know, because at the time, when I started singing with a dance band, he said, can he sing? Because he had never heard me. And it just became a point. I was in music school. And one day, uh, I did not graduate from music school. I did not take a degree. And one day, I ran into a professional musician. I was listening to some people. He said, what are you going to do, kid? I said, I want to make music like you. He said, well, what are you doing about it? I said, I'm, uh, I'm going to be a, a junior in uh, music school. He said, do you know what a degree in music is for? I said, uh, well, I imagine education. He said, no. A degree in music is if you want to teach high school band. (laughs) That's what you take a degree in music for. If you want to be a player, you want to be a real musician, you don't need so much the college education. You need an internship. And I had an opportunity at the age of 19 to sing with a dance band, and I was pretty bad. They hired me, and I had a three-year internship with a dance band and then went out with my own little show with a small group. And this was the internship. And I, I don't know, I still think a college education is the best thing, but there is something else that I have heard over and over again. You can sit in a classroom for a hundred years, and you can study meteorology, air regulation, aerodynamics, aeronautical engineering, avionics, and everything else But until you sit in that chair and you have your hands on the yoke and your feet on the rudder pedals, you are never going to learn how to fly an airplane. And this is what this man imparted to me. Uh, in 1962
2: and it wasn't your father this advice came from
3: no this came from outside so
2: it wasn't like your your dad helped produce a protege or not at all he
3: wanted me to do what I felt I knew how to do I had studied music since the age of five Mm -hmm. and as it happens I felt gee I better think about getting a job one of these days Um, (laughs) the clock is running here and I'm now halfway through college I mean that the time as a student is just about over with so I decided to go into what I felt I might be able to do.
0: At any time in all the years that you, uh, and well, I mean, you must have learned something because you conducted an orchestra, which is not, a, yeah. not something you just do. But in all those years, and you don't have to, if you don't have an answer for this, that's fine. Did you ever hear from or through the grapevine or friends of your dad saying, you know what, the kid's got some chops, he can, he can do this?
3: It happened all too infrequently. Mm hmm. Uh, little by little, I began to learn. Um, rather informally, I must say, I was a pretty, pretty bad slowpoke. You now, some people learning comes easy. Mm-hmm. I am not one of those people. And we're, we're,
0: we're still trying to do this. Uh, learn how to do this, um, Frank Sinatra <laughs> Jr.
4: I, I have.
3: <laughs> right, can I ask a quick question? Mike Wixon, uh, how many shows a year are you doing right now? Not enough. But you're on the road a good chunk of the year? Not anymore, because of the fact uh, you're asking me a straight, honest question. I'm going to give you a straight, honest answer. The depressed economy everywhere yeah. you go has mm-hmm. cut down a whole lot of diversionary entertainment for people. There just are not that many jobs now.
0: And I imagine 38 guys on stage is not a cheap show to that's produce. That's the
3: way it is. That's, that's one of those things. But if we're going to be faithful to the reproduction of this music, then let us be faithful to it. That's what it takes. That's a big deal. If you've never seen a live orchestra, which many, many people have
2: not, it's it fills the room with different sound than That's anything it. else. And, you know. you know, you mentioned off the top the old ballroom at the Royal York. I mean, do you miss those days, too? I miss
3: them very much.
2: Everybody dressing up, coming into that room. Absolutely. It was a formal night out. Not necessarily that it was filled with cigarette smoke, but that's the image that I get. That's Everybody that, had a drink in their head. It
3: was that period of time. Can we uh, ever
2: recapture
3: that? Or is I that don't know. Somebody can put a spin on... You have to talk to a sociologist. To me, I'm just a <laughs> thick-skulled musician. Frank Sinatra, Jr., we um, I
0: can only thank you so many times, but it really has been an honor to meet you. Now, if you don't mind, what we are going to do is we're going to play a song it's you singing uh your father's signature tune um and then during that do you mind if we just we do a promo every day on a little video on our actually on my uh, android phone basically you wouldn't mind being the face of our promo today this uh, is no, Frank Sinatra I mean, Jr., no. man. What are you mm-hmm. thinking about?
3: <laughs> it really is high quality, and we put it on our website. And it would no, be... That's fine. That's fine with me. I just, uh, here again, I want to remind you, fellas, that I am not famous. I just have a famous name. No, I know. Yeah. Well, you but can, you're, you're a very nice yeah, man. You are.
0: And, and you can say that all you want. And a but, hell of a uh,
3: compelling interview, too. I mean, wow. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, Thank you very, very much. Uh, what a real pleasure to meet you.
3: Well, thank you, gentlemen, for inviting me to your house today. All right. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: That's Frank Sinatra
3: And if Jr. you're ever back in town, we'd like to have you back to our place.
0: Hold on a second. Jason, what? Hold on. This, this, yes? Yes. Saturday night Casino Rama. Nice. Yes. Uh, we'll let everyone know that uh, Saturday night, there are still uh, plenty of tickets available for Frank Sinatra Jr. Casino Rama. Thank you, Jenna. Go and see this show. Do it. Because it's not like something you're going to see in many other... If you San don't, Washington we will find you.
2: And yes. the show is called Sinatra <laughs> Does Sinatra? Sinatra sings Sinatra. Sinatra sings
0: Design. Well, here's a little Sinatra singing Sinatra. <laughs>
4: I want to wake up in that city that doesn't sleep And find I'm king of the hill Top of the heap My little town blues Are melting away Gonna make a brand new start of it In old New York I can Make it there, I'll make it Anywhere, it's up to you New York, New York New York, New York I want to wake up in that city that doesn't sleep And find I'm king of the hill in number one Top of the heap A number brand start of it in old New York, and if I can make it there, you know I'm gonna make it anywhere, it's up to you, New York. Better, huh? Thank you. Strangers in the night, exchanging glances, wondering in the night what were the chances we'd be sharing love before the night was through. for strangers in the night, for strangers in the night. I'm gonna tell
0: you right now. I'm gonna tell you right now. That was surreal. That was completely, wasn't and it? Utterly surreal.
2: You know what the wildest thing is? No. His face. He looks a lot like his father. And no, I agree. His father towards the end, you know, had the re- seemed was a rounder face and the gray hair. And that's Frank Jr.
0: Yeah. That was Frank Jr. Yeah. Okay. Well very well. Um, well. Very analytical. Man. Very bright guy. Yes. Um I'm surprised, a little surprised that he didn't want to sing Aka. <laughs> oh right, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't ask him. <laughs> Doesn't that no? But I hey, listen. I the, the the bet was if he spontaneously says I want to do a little akka. Yeah, yeah. Oh, where's your why is it? His he, mic you know, so he
2: would have stayed longer too.
0: Here, what? Is your mic not working? Yet? Here, what, mic
2: not working yet? I don't know. No,
0: no, 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 why isn't that no, no, no. They're all up. Can you can you talk? What is Hi. going on here? Yeah,
2: I don't know. It's a I don't know. Don't worry about it right now. Doesn't matter. It was working a few seconds ago because he was talking to the great Frank Sinatra Jr. That was so <laughs> cool. Thanks for letting me
0: ask that, guys. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why it's... Uh... You know, he has, he has a point, that... though, about that, no, that, about having a I full orchestra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. would no, be cool, man. That was just surreal. And now, okay, when... <laughs> I hope... Like, he's not going to hear this, is he? I don't know. Why? Well, because I think he believed we were on the radio.
2: Yeah, but how old would he be? 69. 69 you know i mean he's of an era that he really totally hasn't got his mind around how this works and i don't know know. i didn't want to i didn't want to correct
0: no neither did i and i thought and it was funny because at that point it was uh i just thought best we don't we don't even and we actually we both changed the subject at the same time Mm -hmm. which was good um
2: Yeah, when he said people could take this podcast and use it for their own use, I was like, well, that's a bit of a stretch.
0: Number one, it ain't going to happen. Number two, if it does, we'll kill them. We'll find them. He, uh, at a couple points there... to your, uh, point about looking like his father. C- Cause I'm sitting right directly across from him. I'm thinking, this is like talking to Frank Sinatra. It's like talking to the chairman. It's like, yeah. and, and it to me. What a me, classy guy. Like, wow. But it gets back to what I was saying about wishing my m- mom or dad was alive to be able to call mm-hmm. now and say, guess what I just mm-hmm. did for my little job mm-hmm. today?
2: Cause it was amazing. And we tried to go the dad route several times there. You know, I, he, seems to steer it away. That's fine. More than he keeps it there. Why do you think that is, so I was trying to figure that out. Well, because, you know, he's his own person, I guess.
0: And he answered what we asked him, but just... he would immediately take it to a different thought. You know, Mike, I'll tell you what I think it is. When people have, and none of us can know what it's like inside the world, Of those people and he can say he's not famous all he wants but he has been around that world his whole life it's all he's ever known so to him and he wasn't rude about it he just I think he's it's just been his normal forever Mm -hmm. so for us you know having Sammy Davis over to watch the game would be you know pretty cool especially Mm -hmm. now considering he's dead Mm -hmm. but I mean um but for him, it would have been just the, the,
2: the daily event. You know, at one point I was going to say, so your relationship with your dad, was he around a lot? Well, I think we know the answer to that question. No. Yeah, I just He's think a he... worldwide movie star. And obviously he didn't take, his dad didn't take a lot of interest. In his musical career, in his late teens. Yeah. I mean, he made that quite obvious. So there's no really use belaboring that end of it. It just felt to me like he, he had, there was a distance between him and his dad, like I tried to build
0: between myself and my children. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish there yeah, was, was that so distance crack. between me. Um, uh, at age 19... In 1963 at Harris Lake, Tahoe, he was kidnapped. This occurred a couple of weeks following the assassination of JFK. Sinatra was released two days later, after Frank paid the $240,000 ransom. Now, there's an interesting story that goes with this. In order to communicate with the kidnappers via payphones, because that's what they did, his father carried a roll of dimes throughout the two-day ordeal, which became a lifelong habit of Frank Sinatra's. Now. I read that. We all had this in our little prep, thanks to Kinga, but I didn't know how to broach that subject. Like, okay, you're Aunt Rama, but how about being kidnapped? Yeah, I you mean, know, like that, that, that kinda... might have been a good one, no. actually. You know, that... think they should have segued yeah. that way? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, <laughs> o-
2: the only uh, thing I was going to say about that, because I found the, the role of... Was it quarters? Roll of dimes. A roll of dimes in a spa, because I often do that, but in my front pocket, so people think I have a boner. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> that's all I
0: can say about that. I'm just glad you moved the potato from the back <laughs> to the front. <laughs> 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 well advised. <laughs> we should have said, hey, listen, we carry coins in our pockets to make us look like we're hung. Who set up that interview, by uh, the way?
2: The Kanga. Oh, oh, way conga. to go,
0: Kinga. That um, was a great interview. Thank
2: Matt. you. How did we? Were we wrong for not... Going after the kidnapping? What, did, you, what,
0: did he ask you to do that? Yeah. Oh, he you got it. He he's for You sicken me. Please. You sickened me. Did you actually say to him, why don't you say. Could you, who, could you who, blow me on the air a bit? Did you actually do that? That's how say, he said it. can you get the. Gu- do we not. You know me well enough. Did I do wow. that? Yeah, you did, did you do that? Sure did. Wixon? Yeah. You're disgusting. He you sure Wixon. did. Look at me. No, he didn't. Wixon? Yes, you no, did. No, he didn't. No. He did? Sure yeah. did. Yeah. Do you think he did? He did. I don't know. How'd your video I don't know. He did not. I'm not going to play that game, but I'll tell you this. He did not. Thank you very much for uh, uh, hooking us up with (laughs) Frank Sinatra Jr. Um, But should we have you did he did too right? should, he, he sure did oh my god he did
2: should we have pursued the kidnapping because i saw it too and just the way it was going and i had been briefed that not often does he speak about it yeah and i'm to me it was i almost wanted to do it as a test i thought is he comfortable enough now that he'll talk about the kidnapping he really yeah. liked you guys i could tell
1: like he was wide he called, open to a bunch of stuff Start started
0: well, calling me well, freddie yeah he Freddy, you Freddy, i love that yeah mm-hmm. what's happening
1: Frank passed away in 2016, but we still have the memories of his fascinating appearance on Humble and Fred. I'm Toronto Mike. I produce Humble and Fred. If you want to hear more of me, I host a podcast called Toronto Miked. If you go to torontoMike.com and click notable guests at the very top, you can cherry pick an episode and just check it out, see what you think. There are plenty of Humble and Fred episodes to choose from. Thanks for listening. Peace and love.
0: This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Gig Sky, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Bowdog, Health Gauge, Canna Cabana, Doer, and our newest sponsor, GoDaddy. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran, and don't forget to help keep this show going by licking them. <coughs> um, liking them.